Welcome to the Rick Z Show. Welcome back. Very excited today. We're broadcasting from one of my favorite places on earth, Clubhouse Studios here in upstate New York. But I'm very, very excited and pleased to introduce our very first guest on the show, a man I've known for over 30 years. My pleasure to introduce to the show Mr. Paul Antonell. Paul, thanks for being on the show. My pleasure, Rick. Great. We got a lot of ground to cover. These are only 30-minute shows. I'd like to do two of them because one of them is not going to cover it. Without further ado, let's just jump right into it. It's a good word to use, jumping into it. Jumping into it. We're jumping into the fire, but it's going to be a fascinating conversation. How could it be anything other than that? You've done so much great work over the years, and I can't wait to start talking about that. But first, for our listeners, I want to give them a little background on you. And to be honest with you, I thought about this uh, earlier. I was wanting to do a show like this partially because I don't have the answer to a lot of these questions, and I'm curious myself, as long as I've known you, there's still a lot of things I don't know, particularly the, the beginning of your life, the formative years, the preteen years when you were a young kid, presumably growing up here in Rhinebeck. What kind of kid were you? What were you interested in? Were you interested in music at that time? What was going on? Well, it's really funny. Um, My family moved up to Rhinebeck in 1961, and my dad was the first dentist in Rhinebeck, and we lived on Chestnut Street, and there really isn't a lot about my family (laughs) out there. Um, But what's interesting is um you know i'm one of seven kids i have three brothers and three sisters so i have a very big family and i was you know right in the middle but my fascination with music you know started with when i was two i was the little drummer boy in saint christopher's church up in red hook new york really and um that's where i got my first snare drum from Manny's Music. My dad stopped in and got it, and I kind of had the bug, and I started playing drums when I was, you know, probably eight or nine. And um, I wasn't that good, but I liked hitting them. And I had a family friend from Queens who (laughs) used to, bring us up 45s his he was uncle georgie and uncle georgie had a big old buick or cadillac with the whole trunk filled with 45s and his job was to take 45s out of the jukeboxes and put a new 45s and instead of throwing them out they were like presents and so i got turned on to you know listening to the beatles the stones and you know was infatuated with the monkeys you know like and used to play 45s in my basement and play drums to wearing headphones. You know, it's really interesting because your background isn't that different from a lot of musicians and how they got started, myself included, learning about music by listening. That's exactly how it happened for me. And uh, like, I just can't believe when I listen to, you know, when I say the monkeys, you know, it was on TV and it was also, you know, they were in jukeboxes and um, just, like things that come to mind, uh, the cow sills, the monkeys, and all those 45s that were in jukeboxes, and I just couldn't stop listening. And, you know, I had a pair of headphones, and I could play along in the drum kit until my mother yelled. And uh, um, that was, that started, 
that's how I listened. And then I started listening to WABC when I was a kid. Um, there was uh, radio. And uh, WABC played all that Philly soul stuff, you know, like Frida Payne and yeah. all the hits, all the top top 100 hits. And um, I loved it. And then when I started, one of my passions was listening to King Biscuit Flower Hour. And every Saturday night, I would I set up a cassette machine and started recording those shows. You know, radio was so exciting in those days. I remember King Biscuit Flower Hour I listened to as well, as well as Dr. Demento show. Sure. And many other shows right. on the radio, even doo-wop shows on Saturday night uh, that my father would listen to while he was doing the dishes was a big deal to me. Radio was a real big deal at, at that time. It's other than the record collection I had that that's how I learned about music right. too. And and for me it was like I could listen to the whole thing it wasn't just a pop you know a 3 minute piece of music it was an hour music and then it was like then I started listening to NEW Allison Steele and that was that was also the King Biscuit Flower and every weekend it would be a different band it would be and I would record those on cassette and so my passion for music stemmed a lot from you know my older brother had a lot of records that I'd listened to but also from the radio and the the heart of it was really listening to those 45s when I was very younger because you know this guy would show up with with boxes of them and I didn't know that they were throwing them out. He he just I thought he was giving them to us. You know, it was like, you know, here we are. You know, and um, I could play them over and over, and that started the passion. I could relate. I could totally relate to that. You mentioned the cow sills. I had the forty-five to the rain, the park, and other things. Yeah. And I, I wore it out as well as, you know, Gary Lewis and the Playboys and yeah. all that stuff from the 60s. Oh, happy day. Oh, happy know? day. And also the Four Seasons. I couldn't stop listening I to the Four the Seasons. I loved the Four Seasons. And that was the stuff that, that drove, you know, my passion. You know, what led to um, me being in the recording business was, was, Simply, I was going to this liberal arts high school called Ulster Academy, and we had a field trip to this recording studio in Red Hook, New York, called Dondi Sound. And this was 1975 or 76. I was 15 or 16. I think it was 15. Well, Dondi Sound was the studio in Red Hook. It was a four-track studio and then eventually became an eight-track studio. And... I walked in that room and I saw the this, this stuff in the studio and I was like, wow, people work here? And I, I looked around and I was like, this is amazing. And it had such an impact on me. Um, it was a dark room and it looked super cool. And I was like, this, this looks like this could be in my future. Um, so, you know, I... I didn't really have the passion for playing so much as I had the passion for music. That was really listening to music. And um, one of the things that I discovered early on is, um, you know, when I started in 
1980, um, you know, New Wave had just kind of hit. And I kept thinking, you know, I'll never be that good of a musician. And I didn't really realize that you don't have to be that good. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, I I think I kind of said to myself, you know, I think I'll be better if I just if I work behind the 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 mixing desk I I might always have a job and and that's kind of I wanted to make records my passion was listening to records and wanting to make them you know one thing that I've always uh, liked about you Paul is you've always referred to recordings as records whether they're on CD whether they're on vinyl it doesn't matter you've always used that term I've kind of adopted that what why do you do that um it's just what I grew up uh it's just what I know you know, yeah. and it's, I, I think there's, um, I can refer to it as um, when I was younger, 15 or 16, and, you know, before the internet, we would go out and see live music. Like, if I could go out to see live music, that was a fascinating um, experience for me. And you would go out with a friend or two, and then all of a sudden, they would say, these guys are making a record. And it like what the band we're seeing now you're going to be able to hear this at home and it was it really impacted me in terms of like making a record was a special thing it wasn't for everybody like you know now it's like potato chips you know right. but there was a time when it was really special for making a record and you had to wait for the record so growing up there was a local music store that sold records and uh, eight tracks, I believe, and eventually cassettes called Truck Stop in Kingston. And I had a, my best buddy lived a few blocks away. So after school, we would walk over to this record store and look to see what was gonna be released. And, you know, in two or three weeks, these these records would come out, like, and, you know, the wait time and all that. It was really exciting for me. It was a magical uh, thing, music, in those days, uh, partially because of the kind of music that was being produced at the time partially because of the age that I was at but to me it was like the hunt for a record was special the 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 hunt anticipation for, the for it to come out always been special to me when I worked in Los Angeles or New York City wherever I am I would always go to Tower Records and the hunt for the record it was like i i'd always get i know the i hear about a record and wanting to find that record. that excitement is missing and, today and i love it and i still go to use record stores and that is a passion of mine it's something that i love and i love being surrounded by vinyl and i love listening to vinyl well moving on to studios that you've you've worked in and and uh, expanded over the years i remember a studio I believe it was your studio in Red Hook behind the phone company. And I was just a a young kid of nine or 10 or something like that. I remember hearing about it because a neighbor on my street, his uncle was recording in some country band or something like that. And they made a single. They actually made like a 45. Mm -hmm. And I was so impressed by that. Wow, your uncle's famous, I thought, you know. And I heard about the studio for the first time then. I lived only, you know, a quarter of a mile down the road from there. And I could never find the studio. I always wanted to just walk by it. You know, I was so fascinated with recording studios. Like, wow, what goes on in there? You know, I always wanted to know. What? Tell me a little bit about that studio. Was that your first studio? Yeah, that was my first studio. So what had happened is, 
when I was 15, we took a field trip over, saw this place, and I was blown away. So I started getting Rolling Stone when I was, a, you know, as soon as I think I got 16 or something, like 15 or 16, I would read everything about music. Rolling Stone was the Bible for me. And in the back of Rolling Stone, there was an ad for a recording class in Red Hook, New York. And I was like, wait a second, I went to that place. So like when I was 17, I, I think it was right around, oh, I was a junior. I went, I took this recording class and uh, it was like a 15 week course. And after the 15 week course, um, the guy who was running the program's name was David Moulton, and he was one of the first guys that I, I, I learned from, was moving, he got a, a, a new job teaching at Fredonia, and he was leaving. So there were two other fellows that you know wanted to stay, and I just said, well, I'll take over. And I'd never done it before. I just kind of jumped in and, and uh, you know, fire by fury, basically. That's how it happens a lot of the and, time. And um, the first thing I did was I upgraded the studio from 8-track to 2-inch 16-track and bought a board and um, just wanted to be in the music business. And, and I just, I mean, I got my first loan. My dad could sign my loan for a board when I was I think I had just turned 18 Wow! when, when this all had happened and so that studio that I took the field trip to by the time I was 18 or 19 I, I was running that studio wow wow your humble beginnings you know uh, that's fantastic a lot of guys be it musicians or studio owners or whatever have some kind of a business model if they don't have it in mind they they look up or admire other musicians and, and people that work in the industry maybe pattern themselves a little bit or learn from them. Did you have any mentors or people you admired that helped you along the way? Yeah, um, you know, John Holbrook was, you know, I met John Holbrook probably in the late 80s, early 90s, and he basically designed the, the current clubhouse. And he, um, I was his assistant engineer on uh, Tiger Lily, which was Natalie Merchant's breakout solo record. And um, I did some engineering on that, but also I, my main credit was assistant engineer. And um, John really kind of showed me the ropes. He, you know, he's from England and he had that Brit sound and uh, that was a big deal for me. And that's the reason why the clubhouse sounds so good was really because John Holbrook was, was spearheading the whole design. I never and, knew that. Yeah, and uh, I'd love to take credit for it, uh, but John was really the one that helped me make decisions. And uh, and also, he's a great engineering, and he, he's won many Grammys, and he's, uh, you know, he did Brian Setzer, he did Tiger Lily, you know, it goes on and on of the records that he's done. Some good credits. I, myself, I've known you for 30 years, 30-plus 30 years, and I probably never told you or maybe I did, I don't know, you were actually one of my mentors, you know, so in, in this weird chain of music, you know, things get passed down, and people influence each other, and I was probably 18 or so when I met you, and you, you were an older guy, you were 25, 26 or exactly. something, and it was like, wow, this guy, he works in the business, you know, this guy engineers records, he owns his own studio, he, he's, you know, I wanted to learn everything I could 
I wanted to sit next to you and, and watch you like a hawk and, and find out how this is done. I, I was like a sponge. And you were very gracious about that. And, and you did teach me a lot about not only recording, but the music business in general. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. That's very, very kind. Um, you know, other people that really helped me along in the mid 80s. So basically what happened is I worked. So the studio in Red Hook was Dondi Sound. And then I turned it into Valley Recorders. And we we went along for about three years and until we got swallowed up by the music business. And I decided to move to New York. And um, real quick, um, I was doing, I was looking for jobs in studios. I couldn't really find anything. And uh, I did theater for three or four years, live sound mixing for uh, this show called The Gospel at Colonus. And is that the one Morgan Freeman? Morgan was in? Freeman was in it, The Soulsters, The Five Blind Boys of Alabama. And it was a, a unbelievable show. And, um, I was touring all over the place. I was 23 years old and had an apartment in New York City. And then I, um, you know, the show went to Broadway. I didn't follow the show. So I decided I really missed recording. And I came back upstate and I kind of was like, I just decided that I'm just going to pull out some of the old equipment I have and just set up and start doing it. And I found that space in Germantown. And that's and that was 1986 or 87. And that's right around the time I came in and met you. Right. I remember talking to you on the phone and you said, well, do you have a band? And I said, well, yeah, you know, what do you take me for? I go, you know, of course, I didn't have a band. I didn't even know musicians, <laughs> let alone had a band. I got off the phone with you and I panicked. I, I got to find a band. And I did. I grabbed the first two guys I could find. And then we're friends to this day. We still I, work I, together. I know. It's funny how things happen. I, you, you know, jumping ahead a little bit, um, because time is somewhat of the essence here. And we got so much ground to cover. I want to talk about the quote unquote clubhouse studio and what I mean by that is when I first started working with you it was I believe it was called upstate studios yes it was rather generic uh, name it was destined to change into something a little bit more uh, stylish and that of course is the clubhouse and you know what transitioned you into the clubhouse and what did that represent calling it the clubhouse now and and then let's let's go right into discussing the, well, the clubhouse it, sound you know I was working with Gary Burke and uh great drummer and uh we were working on a project and he somebody turned around and said boy this feels like a clubhouse and i just kind of went with the idea i was like oh that's a good idea and just you know took that you know i didn't really think that much about it i didn't know what i was doing i just i i i just knew that i wanted to make records my passion was really about making records and I started listening to records like Phil Spector records and, you know, Beach Boys records and the Beatles records. And I, I was reading every credit, studying every studio. And my passion started to grow with trying to emulate those certain sounds. I'd be like, well, how did they get that John Lennon guitar sound? And how did they how did they mic this how did they you know so my passion started listening to records listening to what people were doing and trying to figure out how to get that sound and then i discovered that well most of these good records are done at this studio 
or this studio and they have this kind of board. So I had it in my head that I had to get that kind of board. And I would just tell myself I had to get it. And then eventually I would just do anything I could to get equipment and slowly do a job, pay, buy a piece of gear. I never really had like a whole plan to, to make a studio. It just kind of happened to me. Anyone that I know that knows the clubhouse understands that the clubhouse has a very special sound. It's a very warm sound. I've heard many recordings from the clubhouse and anytime I hear something, I know if it's the clubhouse or not. I'm so well acquainted with that sound, but it's very specific. It's it's almost been cultivated over the years. But how much of that is the, the Neve board that you well, have? Well, I, I think a lot has to do with the, the design of the studio and the Neve board. And you know, one of the things that John Holbrook and I had talked about when I wanted to build this place was basically I wanted to do things to make it easier to make records. And by that was we're not reinventing the wheel here. Uh, you know, it's nearly the idea came up around 95, 96. And then once I decided to do it, I was like, well, it should be really easy to make records. How can we make records? So we started talking about the th Things we liked in all these other places. For instance, you know, Capitol Studios in L.A. had a really nice sound. Echo Chambers, RCA in New York had really nice echo chambers. Power Station had really nice punch. Uh, you know, uh, we, there, there were a lot of things, and we made kind of lists of what we liked about different studios, and we decided, you know, the desk, the knee board was, was really crucial for the sound of the place and it's a rare board i mean there aren't yeah, a lot of needs there are not a lot of needs how did you acquire it so well i was told about it and uh it was available in virginia beach the studio was selling it off and somebody told me and um i didn't realize how expensive it was and uh you know I was kind of like said, well, if I don't do this now, I'm not going to do it. So I just jumped into it. I sent the deposit down to the guy. You know, it was like 60,000. And I sent him overnighted the guy 6,000 with a contract and uh, had 30 days to come up with the, you know, $54,000, <laughs> which, you know, I pulled it off by getting a, you know, lease from a company and, uh, you know, like literally 24 hours before the contract was over. I, Sounds I, a lot like a musician. Well, it was, it was, you know, and I knew that that once I got that Neve, I started getting all kinds of work. You know, it really helped me with the workload and also got me into people start taking me more seriously. And that really, the, the sound, the clubhouse sound here really has to do with um, the style of the room and the wiring is is really really specific and it, it was done out of passion you know once you left Germantown moved to Rhinebeck you upgraded into this place that you're at now and I mean uh, an enormous upgrade but I've noticed you've always kept up with the times you've always yet staying within your own sound the whole time you, you, right you, i mean you have to have the the newest computer pro tools set up um because that's what the you know modern 
big jobs demand. But also, you know, we still have, you know, a Steinway B, we still have a guitar amp collection, we still have, you know, over 100 microphones, and a lot of them are from the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and... Um, you also have one of the greatest uh, collections of coffee table books I've ever seen. And I believe I gave you I gave you a Sinatra you gave me a one, right? A dozen, probably. I gave you, I gave yeah, you a few. Um, I'm just trying to get rid of them. <laughs> you know, I love books. Uh, in one of the recording rooms at the studio here is uh, a library. Library. And the library came from... I, I was talking to John Holbrook, and I was like, I really want to... Um, you know, an English library sound because I love the sound of, you know, sitting in a comfy chair with a book and being able to hear your ears ring, which is, you know, typically my scenario, <laughs> but hear your, you know, the sound of a proper library. Do you think that the fact that you have books in that room contributes to the sound? I think it helps. I mean, uh, you know, you'll never see a bass player, you know, pulling out a book and reading, um, but, you know, I think generally speaking having being surrounded by books i thought that would just be nice you know and mm -hmm. i also think it helps with the sound um i've recorded many a vocal in that library yeah i, I you know i mean uh, linda ronstadt well that's another topic i want to cover uh is clientele sure. a lot of topics we we still have uh, yet to co to cover on this show we may have to cut it uh here in fact so will you be kind enough to join us next week to continue this fascinating discussion? Sure, I'd thank, love to. Thank you very much, Paul. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. And we'll see you next week. Thank you. All right, thanks for listening, everybody. You're listening to The Rick Z Show. We'll see you next week. Don't miss it. Mm -hmm.